welcome to this class. I'm glad you're here. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 29 tonight. If you want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn there with me, we'll be there in just a minute. 1 Samuel 29. Last three chapters of 1 Samuel, we've been working on this book for, well, before the summer started and so summer ended. So a little bit, a little bit of time, a minute or two. And we're going to finish it up, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll have class uh, next Wednesday, and then the Wednesday after that, well, the week after that, we'll have the Thanksgiving service, so we won't have this class, this normal class. We'll have that service on Tuesday, as Kyle said. And then we'll finish up that next Wednesday night, last Wednesday in November, we'll do the last chapter, and hopefully we'll save some time to kind of reflect on where we've been with the study and some uh, lessons that we might reflect on and so we think about it. Good to see uh, Bill and Brenda Rayburn back with us. I'm sure many of you have already seen them tonight. They, uh, I think they got in last night and, and um, glad to sleep in their own bed last night, I think. And so uh, just get to get home. They've been gone about a month. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing about their trip to Greece and the teaching that they were able to do and some of the experiences they had. So we'll, uh, hopefully we'll get to hear some more about that. I'm thankful that they went and thankful that God brought you guys back safely. Uh, word about the meeting on Sunday night, just to add to what Kyle said on Sunday evening. Somebody mentioned this to me a few minutes ago. This is not a budget meeting. Budget, budget meetings, your tenants will dive. All right, you typically, people here, we're having a budget meeting. I mean, that's not what you do to draw on the numbers. So this is not a budget meeting. I just want to make sure you understand that. Uh, this is a meeting where we're going to share some, some dreams and ideas and some changes and some, you know, some of it's going to be about facilities, some stuff here that just needs to be done and, and uh, some things that have already been done. People have been working hard about just improvements to the building and that sort of thing. Talk about a theme that we're going to unveil and uh, it's going to guide some thoughts for us in the next year, 2018, and then talk about some changes to the adult educational program Sunday morning, Wednesday night. And I, I think you'll want to be here, so I just want to put a plug in for that. Again, I'll mention it again Sunday morning, but it's not a budget meeting. I'm uh, not going to throw a bunch of numbers at you. It's going to be more, you know, themes and that sort of thing. So uh, look forward to seeing you. First Samuel 29. All right, so here's the background. We're, we're, some of you are new to the class, maybe visiting with us tonight. We're studying the life of David for the most part. Actually, we're studying First Samuel, and now... We're in the section of 1 Samuel that addresses pretty much the life of David. Now, it's back and forth between David and Saul. Saul has become king several chapters ago, uh, several weeks ago, I guess months ago, as far as our study is concerned. But Saul's life and kingship are going down, and David's stars rising. We're to the point now, almost to the point, where... Saul is coming to an end. I mean, his life is coming to an end. His, his reigning as king is going to come to an end. And David is going to take over as king. And there's going to be this transitional period. So we're in this, in, in this kind of this, uh, I don't know, in-between time, if you will. Saul is still reigning, but not really. He's being disobedient to the Lord, and God is taking the kingdom away from him. So Saul wants David dead. Because he knows that David is the one whom God had said specifically, well, generally he had said earlier, I'm going to give the kingdom to someone who is better than you. And, that, and then specifically he said in the last chapter, in chapter 28, he said that person is David. So Saul knows this. He knows David's going to get the kingdom. And David is the man that Saul wants dead more than any others. Now, the last couple of chapters, just to bring you up to speed with where we are, 
David has had two, two opportunities, very clear opportunities to kill Saul. Could have done it. Got him in a cave. It was vulnerable. But he said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill the king's, the Lord's anointed. Not going to do it. And then he has another opportunity when they sneak into the camp and uh, all the guards sleep through the whole ordeal. And there is David and his most trusted hitman, bodyguard, military guy. And that guy says, let me put a spear through him. I won't have to do it twice. I'll hit him the first time. And David says again, I'm not going to lift my hand against God's anointed. And, and he says something there. He says, you know, God, Saul, Saul is going to come to an end. I don't know how God's going to do it. it. It may happen naturally. He may just die a natural death. He may, may meet some sort of tragic end. He may die in battle or some other way. I don't know, David says, I don't know how God's going to do this, but I know God is in control, and I'm not going to lift my hand. I'm not going to be the one that ends his life. So that was a couple of chapters ago. But then right after that, uh, David takes off. And you've got this interesting phrase that we looked at last Wednesday, verse 1 of chapter 27, then David said in his heart. You've got this interesting chapter, which we studied last week. David goes to the land of the Philistines. It seems to me in chapter 26, he really has a lot of faith in God. I, I'm not going to kill Saul. I know God will take care of this. God's in control. You, you kind of got that spirit, at least, in chapter 26. But then in chapter 27, you see, it seems as if David is kind of abandoning that, and he's, he's taking things into his own hands again. And he's saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know my chances are best if I go to the land of the Philistines, because I'm going to die here. You know, there's no emphasis on God. God will protect me. You don't see that. You just see David saying, I'm going to perish by the hand of Saul. And he's just said, in the last chapter, he's just said, God's going to take care of Saul. I don't have to worry about him. But now he says, I'm going to die. He's going to kill me unless I run away. So you've got some, some, I'll come back to that theme in a minute, but you got some of that with David. He just doesn't seem to consistently have the kind of faith that he ought to have. And it's easy for us to say when we're not, you know, on the run and people aren't trying to kill us. But you read on in chapter 27 and he goes to the land of the Philistines. This is relevant to what we're going to talk about. I'm not just wasting time here. Because I want you to, you got to know this if you're going to understand chapter 29, okay? Chapter 28 is sort of a, an interlude, but chapter 27 is very important. So he goes to Philistia, perpetual enemies of Israel, right? So he goes there and he finds his way to Gath. The king of, the, the king of Gath was, was a guy named Achish. Now here, this, this matters again for chapter 29. The Philistia at this point, they, they were ruled by five lords or five kings. They, when you hear that he's the king, you might think he is king over the whole land, but it's more like he is one of five rulers. That comes into play in just a minute with chapter 29. So Achish is the king of Gath, and David goes to him, and um, Achish gives him refuge in the, in the city. Uh, in the in the city and uh, but then David says you know I don't want to be in your I don't want to be in your way and just just let me have somewhere else and let me have a place to live so they gave him Ziklag so David and his people moved to Ziklag all right this is where it becomes important for for us tonight David goes there okay so so just again visualize this the Philistines hated the Israelites 
And the Israelites hated the Philistines. D David is going to be the next king of Israel, and yet he's living among the enemies of Israel. So how's this going to play out? If he's going to be the next king, how's this going to play out politically? How are the people going to view this? He's living in that land. So here's what he does. He gets some separation from Achish, so Achish doesn't know what's going on with him. And he makes these raids. Right? He goes on these raids. And these raids are against Israel's enemies. The, what was it, the Gershonites, and the, or the Gershurites, and the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. These are enemies of Israel. So he is not betraying his people. But you remember this. He comes back from these raids. And he, first of all, he kills everybody, so there's nobody to, left to tell what he was really up to. Kills everybody on these raids. But he comes back, and, and, uh, and the king says, King Achish says, uh, where you been? Oh, I've been raiding in Judah. Saying, implying that I've, I've been raiding my own people. Achish is thrilled because not, he brings him some loot from these raids. But also Achish recognizes that this shows David is loyal to me because if he's doing this, if he's raiding his own people, what's he doing to himself politically in his own land? Well, they hate him now because he's turned against his own people. Now, so he's, he's, he's walking a, a tightrope here because he's living in Philistia. He's raiding against the enemies of his own people, Israel. And yet he's telling the king that he's raiding his own people. So he's lying and he's, he's manipulating. He's, he's wanting to have refuge there, but he's not wanting to... He's not wanting to... Uh, to, to get Israel, his own people, against him. Okay. It's all going well so far. Things are good. The last verse of chapter 27, Achish trusted David, saying, He has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. All right? So he's, he's tricked Achish completely. Achish doesn't know what's going on. He thinks David's with him. And for reasons I'll point out, or I pointed out last week, and I'll mention again, chapter 29 tonight, I think David is not loyal to Achish at all. I think he's tricking him. So the first two verses of chapter 28, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel, and Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. Now, do you see what's happening here? Achish says, we're going to fight your people, and you're going to fight with us. So David is in a bad uh, a pickle here because if he says, no, I can't go fight against Israel, then he alienates Achish, the king of Philistia. But if he goes and fights against Israel, then he runs the risk of alienating the people he's supposed to be king over in the next, or in the coming days. So he's in a bad situation here. And David, you know, puts on some bravado here, and he says, sorry, you're about to find out. You're about to find out what I can do. It's ambiguous, because he doesn't actually say what he's going to do. He just, you know, puffs his chest out and says, look at me. This is, you're going to see who, who can fight. I'll show you. And Achis said, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. All right, then we have this story that we looked at briefly last week. And it's a story about Saul and how he goes and he seeks out a witch to, he doesn't have anybody to talk to. God's not listening to him. He doesn't have any priests. He doesn't, 
have any men of God, doesn't have any prophets. He doesn't have anybody, so he goes to a witch. I mean, he's, this, is the, this is the Bible way of saying he's at the bottom He's at the bottom of the pit. I mean, he's seeking out a witch. He didn't have anybody to give him any advice from God. So, then we come to chapter 29. Now, the story goes from verse 2 of chapter 28 to verse 1 of chapter 29. So, you got this deal where Achish says, David, you're going to fight against Israel. And David said, all right, you're about to see, you're about to see what this guy can do. You've heard stories about me. I'm about to show you. And then we come to chapter 29, and this is where we are for our time tonight. All right, so look at this. Now, the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, um, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on to the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in, in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. All right, so stop there with me. We'll, we'll get to the rest of this in a minute. But, you know, this is interesting because if, if, you, if you agree with the way I'm reading this text, which there are other ways you could read it, but I, obviously I think the way I'm approaching this I, I think is the, right, the best way. Um, and I, and I, think, I think David has gotten himself in a bad spot here. And I think he knows it, but he's trying to get out of it, or he, he wishes he is not in the situation that he's in. And the situation is, he doesn't know what to do, because he knows if he, back in the first two verses of chapter 28, you know, if he says, I can't go fight against Israel, then he, Achish knows everything he's been doing has been a ruse, because he's been saying, I've been making these raids up there, to Judah, to Israel. And now for him to turn around and say, I can't go fight, Achish would know. But if he goes and fights, that creates a whole, a whole nother set of problems, doesn't it? So what, I mean, we, you, you've read this already, but if you were reading this the first time, the narrator sets this up really well for us as he, he, he builds that tension to verse 2 of chapter 28, and, and you're, you're sitting there thinking, man, what is David going to do? He's just basically said, yeah, I'm going to fight, but you know he doesn't want to fight. And then the narrator, the author of this story, then switches and goes off on this tangent about Saul and this witch for a long time. You know, it's a pretty long chapter, and you're sitting there hearing this the first time. You come to this section, and you're, you're, you're like, okay, man, what, is, what in the world is David going to do? And then the, the narrator kind of backs off, and he says, oh, by the way, I want to tell you the story about Saul. And I think that fits into the narrative because it shows us, you know, David is rising and Saul is, is, is really going downhill. But you, but you don't know, you know, you don't know how this is going to turn out. And then when you get to chapter 29, he comes back to us and he's going to, he comes back to the story and he's going to tell how this plays out. I mean, this is pretty, pretty interesting and, and pretty easy to understand what happens here. The lords of the Philistines, these commanders of which Achish was one, the other ones, 
Apparently the troops are coming in, uh, in, in front of the commanders. And the, the commanders look there at, at the back coming with, with Achish's troops. And they see some non-Philistines there. Specifically, they see some Israelites there. And they find this to be quite curious because Israel hates us and we hate them. How come we've got some of their soldiers in our army when we're going to attack them? I mean, you can imagine how this would have played out or how this would have played with these guys. So they say what most people would have said. What? Achish, what in the world are you doing, man? And Achish says, no, trust me. David's been with me for, the, the, the ESV reads, days and years. That's an expression that means more than a year. Years, a year plus days is the, is the idea. He's been there about 16 months or so. We, we read, I think, a chapter or two ago. So he's been here for more than a year, and I've been impressed by him. He's been loyal. He's, he's been, I don't have any reason to think that he's going to deceive us. And, and their response is, okay, here's what we know about David. He's a servant of the king of Saul. We know that. I mean, the, the king of Israel, Saul. We know that. And we also know that they have this song they sing about him. And that is, he's a really mighty warrior. He kills a lot of people. They know these songs somehow. And they know about David's reputation. And then there's a, there's a third thing they know, and it's a little bit subtle here. And I'm not sure that they know this, but they might have. They, uh, he says down at the end of verse 4, where these commanders say, How could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? And that may be an allusion to what David had done with Goliath. You remember Goliath's nationality? Yeah, he was from Philistia, uh, from Gath specifically. And David had taken his head and, and displayed it, you know. And so these commanders, I think, knew that, and I think this is a reference to that. We know him. We know he's a servant of the king of Israel, Saul. We know that he's a mighty warrior, and we know what he likes to do with the heads of the Philistines, and it ain't good. What better way could he get back in favor with the king of Israel than to present a few of our heads to them? You see, I mean, they, these, these guys are pretty smart. And I, and I think they're thinking, this can't have done him any good back home, the fact that he's been living in Philistia all these months. And so what better way could he really get the people on his side is for us to get into battle, and we're fighting, and all of a sudden here David and his men come up from behind us cutting off our heads and presenting them to the enemies. You know, how, what's a better way than that? So that, and you've got to agree with them. It doesn't make any sense from a military perspective to have these, these guys fighting when you don't really trust them. Achish trusts them, but I don't think Achish should have because I don't think David's going to do what Achish thinks he's going to do. All right, let's read on. And then I'm going to come back here and we'll make some application to you and me because I think there's some pretty good applications that we can reflect on. Look at verse 6, though. So Achish called David, and he's going to break the news to him. And he says to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest. That's not true. All right, not true at all. 
but he thinks it is. You have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have nothing wrong, I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the Lord's other Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. All right, so that's how, that's how this ends up. Now, I think part of the reasons we have chapter 28, one of the reasons we have chapter 28 is here is this. It seems like it doesn't have anything to do. He just goes off here and tells us a random story about Saul going to see this witch. But I think it's pretty important for us to know, and it builds the tension of the story, when you read chapter 28, and you remember this from last week, from your reading, that, the, that Samuel, as a result of this witch, comes up out of wherever, realm of the dead, and he, and he says to Saul, you're going to die. You and your sons are going to die. You're going to, you, well, what was the, verse 19 of chapter 28. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow, okay, Tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. So you think about this from a purely, like from a narrative perspective. You're reading this story, and you come to the first part of chapter 28, and David has just been, been put in a position where Achish has said, okay, David, you're going to go fight with me against Israel. And then he spends the rest of chapter 28 telling us, or one of the main things in chapter 28 is, what's going to happen when this battle unfolds, when Philistia goes against Israel? What's going to happen? Saul is going to die, okay? And what has David been saying? I'm not going to lift my, head, my hand against the head of the king's anointed. I'm not going to do that. He's had opportunity after opportunity, but he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. What's it going to look like if David is, you know, is charging in this battle and Saul is killed? You know, how's this going to play? How's it going to play politically in Israel? And also, how does this fit in with David's commitment not to, not to kill the king? And so I think that's one of the reasons we got that chapter there, that whole story, is so that we might know that. Now, we're hearing this story, and like David has said, yeah, I'm going to go fight. And then we've got this, that, that we read this and we figure out, wait a second. Saul's going to die in this battle. How's David going to justify this? How's David going to go in this, in this battle against his own people in which Saul dies and also who else is going to die? His best friend, Jonathan. Saul, you and your sons are going to be with me tomorrow. One of them is Jonathan. David's, you know, friend for years and confidant and all that. So the tension is building, you know. And then finally you get to this point where they're marching out and David is there. And, and uh, I, I think what happens here is David is is rescued. I think God rescues him and he, and he rescues him through 
these Philistine commanders that we're here. He's about to go against his own people in this war in which Saul and Jonathan are going to die. David has gotten himself in a mess. He's created a mess by circumventing the will of God, by not seeking the will of God, by, 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 by saying, I don't know what to do. Here's what I think I need to do. This is the only option I have. And he ends up in the Philistines. He ends up making commitments he shouldn't have made. He ends up joining an army he shouldn't have joined. And now he's marching to a war he doesn't need to fight. And God steps in. And I think therein lies the main point of our story. And it has to do with God and how God works and how God often saves us from the consequences of our foolish decisions. Now, the, the story doesn't tell us. Let me, I'm going to come back to that point. I'll just put a little peg right there and come back to it in a second. But the story doesn't tell us what David's intentions are. I've read some into that, and I may be wrong. I don't think so. But I could be wrong about that. It could be that David is, that you take him at face value. You know, that he says, you're going to see what I'm going to do, and he means it. I'm going to fight. And, and then when he, he does this, when, when, uh, when Achish comes to him and says, David, I'm sorry, but, you know, they voted against you, and I trust you completely, but, I, you know, you can't go in because they, they said no. And David, David said, what? I think he's faking it there, honestly. I think he's faking it. I don't think he wants to go into the battle. I think he knows it's not a good thing for him to do. Now, he doesn't know about chapter 28. He doesn't know Saul's going to die in this battle. But I don't think he wants to go. But it's possible that he does want to go. And if he does want to go, either way, it's not good for David because if he wants to fight in this battle, that is such a foolish decision. If, if you just read him and you think David's being honest and all that, I, I don't see how we can read it like that because in chapter 27, we see he's lying, flat out lying to Achish about what he's doing. He's trying to trick Achish. I don't think we have any reason to think that David's telling the truth in chapter 28 when he says, just wait and see what I'll do. Or at the end of chapter 29 when he says, what is how are you not going to let me go? I've been loyal to you all this. I don't think he wants to go. But maybe he does. If he does, it's foolish. And if he doesn't want to go, as I'm reading it, then he's gotten himself into a position where he doesn't know how in the world to get out of it. And he just keeps playing the part. And that part he's been playing since he said, I'm raiding my own people, chapter 27. Wait till tomorrow. I'll show you what I can do, chapter 28. And then when he's rejected, chapter 29, he says... Why not? I think he's playing the part. He breathes a sigh of relief, I think, when he walks away from here. But regardless of all that, here's what I'm certain about. And I, uh, here's the, I wrote this down. I got this idea from somebody. But the, the, the question is this. How many, this is a point of application, all right? Think about this. How many frustrations in our lives will we eventually look back on as God's interventions on our behalf? Now, I'm not sure David's frustrated, uh, but in fact, I don't think he's frustrated. I think he's relieved. But, but I guess what I'm getting at here is God's frustrating 
this whole deal where he's going into battle, God stops that and he says, Dave, basically he said, David, you're not going to fight. Get out of there. This is what's happening un, you know, behind the scenes. I think God is saying, all right, David, you've gotten yourself into a mess. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to step in and through the commanders of the Philistines, I'm going to rescue, from the, rescue you from this pitiful position you've gotten yourself in. And um, so regardless of how David felt about it, if he was frustrated by it or if he was relieved by it, God stepped in and kept him from going into this foolish battle. Now, so, so the point of application is this. How many times does God, very subtly here, by the way, it doesn't say what I'm saying to you now, it doesn't actually say that in so many words, but you find that in narratives in the Old Testament over and over again. The narrator doesn't step in and say, oh, by the way, God did this. But that's the way we're supposed to read this. This is a story of God's dealings with Israel, right? And so when you read this, we're supposed to read this as the, the work of God. And, and, and so even though the narrator doesn't stop and say, okay, you know, let me, let me give you the point of application. Israel would have gotten that. And that point here is God steps in and saves David from receiving the consequences of his own foolishness. Now, God doesn't always do that. In fact, you can probably think of a pretty specific example in David's life later on where, God, where David does something even more foolish, and God says, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life, Bathsheba. You're going to live with the consequences of that for the rest of your life. But God sometimes chooses to step in, and in very subtle ways, he saves us. We might be frustrated by it. We may not even know it. But I wonder if maybe when we get on the other side with the perspective of eternity, we might be able, if God opens our eyes, we might be able to look back at specific times in our lives where we did the most foolish thing and deserved a different outcome, but without making a big splash or making a big deal out of it, God stepped in through his providence and he worked things out according to what was best. That's exactly what happens here. David did not get what he deserved. He chose to go live with the enemy. He chose to lie. He chose to, you know, put, put out this, this bravado. And God allows him to, to, to escape. I think that's pretty cool. And, and I wish that, you know, I wish we knew, maybe, I wish we knew, you know, that God's doing that right now in your life in some way, in my life in some way. He's done it in the last few months in your life in some way where you did something, or you, you, you chose to circumvent the will of God or do things according to your own knowledge and to your own wisdom and not His. And God has very, very subtly, He stepped in and He has used the commanders of the Philistines to get you out of this mess that you would have been in had you gone the way you were choosing to go. So that's one point of application. And that one has all sorts of things. I think maybe when we get to uh, that better place with a better perspective, we'll be able to see that. But uh, maybe think about that now. You know, what's going on in your life? And can you, can you think back? You probably can think back to some situations where, you know, God rescued me. Or maybe you can look back and say, God, let me, God, let me experience a kind. Sometimes he does, you know, sometimes he doesn't. He does it according to what he knows to be best. Sometimes he lets us, sometimes he doesn't. So here, God is working. 
And that's the point of the narrator. It's the point of this narrative is that we might see that. Before we're out of time, a couple, couple more things. I got six here. We don't have time for six. Do we some, here, here's a question just for you to reflect on. Do we sometimes try to keep one foot in the Philistines' camp and one foot in Israel's? David does. He's trying to do that here. He's trying to live with the Philistines but not, not um, turn Israel away. That's what he's trying to do. It doesn't work very well. So that's a tightrope. You see the tightrope? I mentioned this earlier. You see this tightrope he's trying to walk? He's, he's trying to live in Philistia and not alienate Israel, but not alienate Philistia. And, and, and I was reading someone on this, and he, he made this point of application and said, that's, that's illustrative of the way that we sometimes live our lives. We, we want to live in the world. We want, to, we want to put our heart and soul into the world in some ways, but we want to keep one foot in church. You know, we, we want to keep one foot over here with God, and so we don't fully commit either way. David isn't fully committed to Philistines. See that? He's not raiding against Israel. But he's not fully committed to Israel either because he's living in Philistia and he doesn't have full confidence that God will take care of him in Israel. So sometimes we are trying to keep one foot in both Philistia and Israel in our own lives in the world, not fully embracing either one. It doesn't work out very well. Here's a third question. What's the difference between an apostate to be judged and a backslider to be disciplined? I've made the argument that I think David is backsliding here, or whatever you want to call it. I don't think he's turned his back on God, but I do think he's, uh, I don't know, what's the right word? Hesitating, or his faith isn't exactly where it ought to be, and yet God protects him. God, God protects him. This works out well for David. I, as I've said, I think it was the wrong decision to go to Philistia. I think it was the wrong decision to lie to play these two parts, but it worked out for him. Can't argue with that. Works out quite well for him. Doesn't work out well for Saul and his choices, though. Saul is an apostate who's going to be judged by God. David is a backslider who's going to be blessed by God. He's going to be disciplined by God and brought back. And, and I guess maybe we don't know all the reasons why that's the case with people. Like, we can't, we can't judge people's hearts, and so we don't know. I mean, you can look at things that Saul has done and said, and, and certainly he had these moments of rebellion and all, but can't you make an argument for David that he also made some very rebellious kind of decisions? Even leading, I'm not even talking about Bathsheba yet, even leading up until this point, I mean, certainly there's a difference. David doesn't seem to be outright rebellious, and Saul in some ways has been, but I think it's interesting to think about just God, God is patient with us and he will lovingly discipline us. But there comes a line, and when we cross that line, and I don't know where that line is, I don't know how you recognize it, you know, but there comes a line that when you cross that, God will not lovingly discipline you anymore. He will judge you and he will punish you. That's what happened with Saul. David is disciplined and brought back. Saul is judged and is put to death. God is working in our lives and I guess the, the warning here is 
you don't want to get so close to that line that you're at the risk of turning your back on God and being judged by Him. You always want to stay over here with Him. God will discipline you. He will bring, he will let, bring bad things into our lives. He will bring good things into our lives. But all to help draw us closer to Him. But if we keep rebelling and keep pushing and keep stepping out, then there comes a point at which, I think Romans 1 talks about this, there comes a point at which God will give them up. Romans 1, he says it three times. God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. And yet, God is very patient and long-suffering with us. Well, folks, I guess we're out of time. There's more. There's more there. I've lectured to you. I didn't give you opportunity to respond. Anybody got a very quick closing comment, thought? Dania? Yeah. I agree. And I've been asked, by the way, too, when people make comments to, to say it into the microphone for people who are watching. So um, people who are watching at home are hearing. Dania's coming, and those of you who can't hear, this is a very good point. Dania's point is that, you know, it goes back to David's heart. God knows hearts. God doesn't just judge us based on behavior. He knows the motivation. He knows why we're doing what we're doing. So God knows the heart. Saul's heart has turned away from God. David, though he misbehaves and though he you know, his faith wavers at times. David's trajectory is toward God, and Saul's is away from God. And that goes back to a matter of the heart. So, good thought. All right, you guys. Thanks. Have a, have a good night.